Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In our second segment today, we're going to take another look at what is going on over in Lebanon. Joining us will be R.V. Scheid of the Sacramento News and Review. We also chanced upon an actual eyewitness to events in Lebanon, having recently returned among the evacuees from the war-torn state. Layla Anani will also join us in segment two today to discuss what she saw in Lebanon. Let us begin our show in the usual fashion with On This Date in History. And on this date in history, which is August 17th in the year 1563, King Charles IX, although he was only 13 years old, was declared an adult and the legitimate king of France. We are not sure who among the powers that be decided such a thing or how one can decide, for example, that say the son of a president is qualified to be the governor of Texas, but hey, there's people out there that make the call. On this date, in 1903, American philanthropist Joseph Pulitzer makes a donation of $1 million to Columbia University and starts the Pulitzer Prize. And on April 17, in 1915, Charles F. Kettering of Detroit, Michigan, patents the electric automobile self-starter. Kettering, along with Edward A. Deeds, founded the Delco, which stood for Dayton Engineering Laboratories Company, which would later become a subsidiary of General Motors. The Cadillac was the first car to use the electric starter. And on this date in 1962, East German guards gunned down Peter Fetcher, a young man trying to escape across the Berlin Wall into West Berlin. They left him to bleed to death. It was one of the ugliest incidents to take place at one of the ugliest symbols of the Cold War. We mentioned the former governor of the state of Texas a moment ago. And uh, I think we'd like to combine our quotes of the day and jokes of the day with a section titled Shouts and Murmurs by Paul Slansky in the current edition of The New Yorker. The Bush Quiz. Three of these remarks were made by George W. Bush. Which one was made by Donald Rumsfeld? A. Nobody likes war. It creates a sense of, of uncertainty in the country. B. The plan in Iraq is to prevent a civil war, and to the extent one were to occur, to have the, from a security standpoint, have the Iraqi security forces deal with it to the extent they're able to. C. Sometimes leaders show up who do a great disservice to the traditions and people of a country. And D. There are limits to how much corn can be used for ethanol. After all, we got to eat some. 
And, of course, it was Donald Rumsfeld who said, the plan in Iraq is to prevent a civil war, etc. I really like Selection D, though. (laughs) There are limits to how much corn can be used for ethanol. After all, we got to eat some. Ladies and gentlemen, the leader of the free world, in his own words. Item. What was George W. Bush talking about when he declared, I'm the decider, and I decide what's best? A. Pushing ahead with the Dubai ports deal. B. Blocking a Justice Department probe of the administration's secret domestic spying operation. Or C. Keeping Donald Rumsfeld as defense secretary despite calls by six retired generals for his firing. The answer, of course, is C. Keeping Donald Rumsfeld. And remember, I'm the decider, and I decide what's best. But my favorite item from this section was, which of the following words were among the top 10 responses in a Pew Research Center poll that asked voters for the first word that came to mind when they think about George W. Bush? Which of these choices was among the top 10 responses? A. Decisive, charming, brilliant, and truthful. B. Booze, cocaine, failure, and smirk. C. Illegitimate, simian, hot-headed, and torture, or D. Incompetent, idiot, liar, and ass. If you chose D. Incompetent, idiot, liar, and ass, go to the head of the class. And here at Radio Parallax, we've noted that America's chief decider has decided that in the Israel versus Hezbollah conflict, Israel prevailed. Said the president, Hezbollah attacked Israel, Hezbollah started the crisis, and Hezbollah suffered a defeat in this crisis. Radio Parallax has been informed by a highly placed source that the president has also decided, in retrospect, that Frazier actually beat Ali in the thriller in Manila. My head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. In a follow-up from a story a couple years old, the House of Representatives has quietly changed the name of Freedom Fries and Freedom Toast on the Capitol Cafeteria menu back to French Fries and French Toast. Two Republican committee chairmen ordered the name changed in 2003 after France refused to support the U.S.'s decision to invade Iraq. We haven't uh, talked too much in this program about uh, the health issues surrounding Fidel Castro. We had a a feeling that Cuba's boss would be back, and it looks as though he is. We're somewhat shocked to find ourselves agreeing with Peggy Noonan, writing in the Wall Street Journal, when Ms. Noonan, former speechwriter for Reagan and uh, Bush 41, said that uh, the U.S. should treat Castro's illness as an opportunity. The 44-year-old embargo designed to bring down Fidel has obviously failed. She said, quote, Why not seize the moment for some wise, judicious, free market love bombing? It's time for Washington to abandon the sanctions that have shielded Cubans from American influence and flood Cuba with business leaders, tourists, and democratic ideals. Let Castroism drown in it. Well, we think Ms. Noonan got that one right. Let us take a moment to do the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
According to The Week magazine, last week was judged a good week for the future of the human race after scientists at Germany's Max Planck Institute for Molecular Genetics announced the invention of the first pill to combat stupidity. The drug has been shown to improve the attentiveness and short-term memory of fruit flies and mice. We are not positive that being more attentive and having a better short-term memory will actually (laughs) reverse stupidity, but one can hope. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for curiosity after a Brazilian man attempted to open a rocket-propelled grenade he'd found in a scrapyard by hitting it with a sledgehammer with, according to the magazine, immediately fatal consequences. We would handicap that as a very likely future Darwin Award winner. And finally, last week was judged an ugly week for patience after the New Hampshire Board of Medicine dropped charges against a doctor who advised a white woman she was now so obese she might be attractive only to black men. No, folks, we're not making it up. I'm just just reading what's in front of me. Apparently, the New Hampshire Board of Medicine ruled that Dr. Terry Bennett was simply exercising his right to free speech. We do think that Dr. Bennett may benefit from sensitivity training. Apparently, one of the other complaints about him was that he suggested another patient shoot herself following brain surgery. And why don't we insert the Only in America file into the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have a couple items also from the Week magazine, which are, A, a camper is suing the U.S. government because he fell off a cliff while looking for somewhere to pee during the night. Jerry Mersenow, 23, was camping in Mount Hood National Forest when misadventure struck. While finding a place to relieve himself, his lawsuit says, plaintiff walked off an unguarded and unprotected creek falling approximately 20 to 30 feet to the creek bed below. Mersenow says the government should have known that campers might wander off the cliff and is demanding compensation for his mental anguish. I hope he loses. And item B from the Only in America file, a Minnesota masseuse may lose her license because she slept with her husband. Lorraine Lundeen Fagelman admits that her current husband was a client until May 2002. After they started dating a few months later, the Department of Health showed up at her door with court papers. In Minnesota, state law bans sexual contact between masseuse therapists and clients for two years after their last professional massage. But husband Kirk Fagelman feels the case is ridiculous. There's no harm, no victim, he said. What's this about? We don't know. Let's close up the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's do a few miscellaneous items from around the world, items, items of interest. Dateline Mexico City. Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador has told his followers to prepare for a long fight. Obrador, last month, lost to Felipe Calderon by 243,000 votes out of 41 million cast. Obrador claims the election was stolen and plans to fight the theft. 
Wouldn't it be interesting if candidates in this country had that kind of spunk? And in other electoral news, Ukrainian President Viktor Yushchenko was forced to accept arch-rival Viktor Yanukovych as prime minister last week, ending four months of political stalemate in Ukraine. As you will probably recall, it was Yanukovych's fraudulent win in the 2004 presidential election that sparked the Orange Revolution, a series of pro-Western, pro-democracy demonstrations led by Yushchenko. Yanukovych stepped down, and Yushchenko was elected in his place. In the intervening year and a half, the government's attempts at reform have had mixed results, and many voters grew disillusioned. This spring, the pro-Russian Yanukovych made a comeback in parliamentary elections, and he will now lead the new government. So ends, perhaps, the Orange Revolution. We would like to remind our listeners that in that uh, electoral mishap, all polls showed that Yushchenko should have won, but in the election, Yanukovych had a 10-point electoral victory. So a 10-plus point discrepancy between polling data and electoral data tipped off the whole world that fraud had been committed and nations rallied around Viktor Yushchenko. In that uh, very same month, despite extensive polling data showing that John Kerry was going to be elected president with a three-point margin across these 50 United States, when the votes were tallied, he lost by two and a half. Apparently a five and a half percentage point swing, the odds of which are a million to one, failed to ignite an orange revolution in the United States. Since experts agree that uh, Yanukovych and his Russian supporters arranged to have Yushchenko poisoned with dioxin, it's sad to see him back in power. We have an item of bad ecological news from the Los Angeles Times worthy of note. There's apparently a huge island of discarded cups, bottle caps, plastic laundry baskets, rubber sandals, and other garbage in an area of sluggish currents and slack winds halfway between California and Hawaii. The eastern garbage patch, as this floating dump is called, is twice the size of Texas. We are going to look into that. And some horrifying political news comes from that source of so much horrifying news these days, Iraq. Apparently, those five soldiers that, uh, that raped and murdered the 14-year-old Iraqi girl were drinking and playing cards last March when they decided to go forth with their crime. That's according to a military investigator. An investigator said, James Barker confessed that he and Sergeant Paul Cortez took turns raping the girl while Private Stephen Green killed her parents and five-year-old sister. Then Green, too, raped the girl before shooting her dead. Two other soldiers, PFC Jesse Spielman and PFC Brian Howard, allegedly stood guard. Green was honorably discharged in April after being diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. He's currently in custody in Kentucky and has pleaded not guilty to charges of rape and murder. This issue has a lot of people very upset in Iraq because our military personnel there are not subject to prosecution for violation of any Iraqi laws. Here's the part that gets me after, after what I've just related in this case. The military is having a hearing in Baghdad this week, at which time it will decide whether to charge the other four. Now, we got two guys in this case that confessed to raping the girl before she was killed, and the military is going to decide whether to charge them with crimes. 
This one's really got to come from the duh file. What do you think the repercussions are going to be if there isn't justice in this case? How many terrorists are going to be recruited? How many murders are going to take place? How much suffering is going to result if they don't take this guy Green and his accomplices out and deliver some swift justice? In the case of Green, that ought to be a firing squad. Personally, I hope that is exactly the justice meted out to him, and I hope that the other guys are slapped with very long prison terms. How about if they're incarcerated in Abu Ghraib? That would be good. All right, in a much, much happier note, we have the following story. Ten years after being falsely linked to the bombings at the Atlanta Olympics, security guard Richard Jewell has been honored for saving lives on that day. On July 28, 1996, Jewell motioned people away from a suspicious backpack in Centennial Park just before it exploded, killing one person and injuring 111. Although never arrested or charged, Jewell was considered the top suspect for a time and was widely tarred with the crime in thousands of news reports around the globe. The real killer, Eric Rudolph, was caught in 2003. No one can rewrite history, said Jewell upon receiving his award from Georgia Governor Sonny Perdue. We can only learn from it. As follow-up on last week's story from James Bamford about the regime change playbook, and if you haven't had a chance to go look up that Rolling Stone article, we strongly urge you to do so. It is fascinating reading as regards the upcoming plans for war with Iran. We'd like to also refer you to Larissa Alexandrovna on Alternet. Her story, Lebanon is the trigger for neocons planned war on Iran. There definitely appears to be a connection between Israel's attack on Lebanon and some plans that are on the drawing board for what the United States would like to do to Iran. And, dear listener, you need to get a hold of the current edition of The New Yorker to read Seymour Hersh's article on watching Lebanon. Hirsch also outlines the links between what Israel was attempting to do in Lebanon and what the U.S. is planning in Iran. I'd like to read one quote in particular from the article. Nonetheless, some officers serving with the Joint Chiefs of Staff remain deeply concerned that the administration will have a far more positive assessment of the air campaign than they should, referring to Lebanon. The former senior intelligence official said, There's no way that Rumsfeld and Cheney will draw the right conclusion about this. When the smoke clears, they'll say it was a success, and they'll draw reinforcement for their plan to attack Iran. Hersh wrote those words a few weeks back, and what did George W. Bush say just a few days back? Well, we said it earlier. Hezbollah attacked Israel. Hezbollah started the crisis, and Hezbollah suffered a defeat in this crisis. Seymour Hersh's uh, source was apparently prophetic when he said, when the smoke clears, they'll say it was a success. We need to pay attention to what he also said after that. They'll draw reinforcement for their plan to attack Iran. We will continue to follow those developments. Let's take a short break and talk about some of uh, what happened in Lebanon with R.V. Scheid of the Sacramento News and Review. You're listening to Radio Parallax. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm Douglas Everett.